What is clear in these last two chapters of the book of Revelation is that what God has in store for us and what he has prepared is spectacular. The beauty in these scriptures is beyond anything that we could actually imagine. We read about gold that's as clear as glass, city gates that are carved out of one gigantic pearl, walls, again, made of jasper, as clear as crystal. How can we understand these things? How can we get our mind around the beauty of this place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us? How can we comprehend all of it? Isaiah talked about this. If you wanna go back to Old Testament, Isaiah talked about this city in Isaiah 64, 65, in that range, he talks about this city that's coming. And Paul quotes him in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind could imagine the things that God has in store for those who love him. It's beyond comprehension. Now Paul adds that the Spirit is revealing it to us. And we see that through some of the authors of the New Testament, including this revelation that came to John. We're getting glimpses of the things that God has prepared for us a little taste of what's coming in the heavenly reality. But here we are still now looking forward to it. I wanna talk about a few of the characteristics. I'm just gonna go through these verses and talk about a few of the characteristics of this coming kingdom, this new heaven and new earth as it is called. I want us to note first how many times that the number 12 is used in describing this city. It says that there are 12 gates and on them are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's also 12 foundation stones and on them are inscribed the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In a beautiful way in this city, God is tying together all of the old and all of the new. He's laying that as a foundation for us. The old and the new, Israel and the apostles. 12 and 12, each of the gates of this city are guarded by an angel, 12 angels. And we know from what we've been learning in this series that the number 12 is a number of completion or wholeness or perfection. There couldn't be anything more perfect than what is coming in this heavenly city. The gates, it says, face in every direction and they are always open. And as we read in the scripture, anyone whose name is written in the book of life is welcome to enter. From every direction of the globe, from every tribe, every nation, every culture, everyone is welcome to come. The invitation is open to all. And these gates never close, they're open. They're open to us today. That's something we need to hear, these gates are open to all, and the invitation is to come. I think we need to remember here, and I wanna pause for a moment because there's something really cool that, I, that jumps out to me from this scripture. We have to remember that the New Jerusalem is not just a place, it's a people. It's not a place, necessarily. It's a people. 
John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. How do we get our head around that? Whenever I've read this scripture before, I think of it like a city kind of falling down out of the sky. You've probably seen this stuff if you ever Google Revelation and look online. Don't, if there's some scary stuff, by the way. But if you do, you're gonna see these pictures, these images of what artists have, have thought they, they see in the holy city. But John's clear that it's not just a place, it's a people. And this thought has just been sitting with me all week, and so I didn't even really put it in my notes, but I have to share it. If God is preparing a place for us to be, and we think of that as a physical place, he is also, at the same time, preparing for himself a dwelling place, which is us, his people. And what if... The beauty of this city is what he sees when he looks at us. We don't necessarily see that, do we? Have you ever met somebody and you thought, really, God, they're going to heaven? I have to spend eternity with this person? I'm probably the only one who's ever thought that because I'm so irreverent that way. Come on, you've thought it. Yes. And when God sees them, he sees the beauty of the potential that he placed in them when he created them. He sees them like these beautiful stones and jasper and crystal and gold. He sees what's precious that he's placed inside of us. Yes, it has been marred and broken by sin. Yes, it's been marked by the things of this world, but that's not what he sees. What if we could see each other that way? What if we could see each other with the beauty that God sees us with? He is preparing for himself a dwelling. He is preparing our hearts to be a place where he can come and live and dwell. What a beautiful juxtaposition we have here that he is preparing a home for us, but he's also preparing us to be his home. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I think that we would get to the place of unity so much more quickly if we could look at other people and see the beauty that God sees in them, to see them as his people with all of the potential that he has in his heart for them. So in this picture of this beautiful city, we have the Old Testament tied into the New Testament. There are references to Israel as the beloved wife of God. There is this representation of the biblical theme of covenant relationship and how God is coming for his bride. She is the perfect counterpart to Babylon and Rome, as we've been hearing about, who is referred to earlier as the whore of the beast. The bride of the lamb is the perfect counterpart to what we see in the world. She's beautifully adorned for her husband. And she is radiant. Man, when I look around the church today, I see a lot of brokenness. I see a lot of things that are not the way that they should be. But can I just tell you this? Because I know there's people who have walked away from their faith because of the brokenness of the people in the church. She is 
she is broken, but she is still radiantly beautiful. And there is no plan B. The church is God's chosen vehicle to usher his kingdom into this world. And there is no plan B. There's no other option. It's us. It's you and me carrying this heart of God in the world. And while we're not perfect, and a lot of unfair things happen, this people is still a radiantly beautiful people. And I am going to hold that till the day I die. I will not give up on God's church. I will not give up on his people because he never gives up on us either. That was totally for free. <laughs> I want to talk about a few things that we don't see in this city. We don't see a sea. And we know if you've been here in this series, I I'm recapping pretty quickly today, but the sea represented the, um, the sort of reigning powers of this world, if you will. It represented all of the world systems that are broken, the chaos and insubordinations of what we see in the world today was represented by the sea. And it says there'll be no more sea in the New Jerusalem. Everything that is evil is abolished. Nothing that opposes the lordship of the Lamb is allowed in this new city. The measurements of this city are interesting as well. And we have been talking about the book of Revelation symbolically. And we have been saying through the whole thing that we're not taking this literally, we're taking it symbolically. And so in the heart of that, we're not looking at a cube that is gonna span from Denver to Washington and Detroit to Miami. I don't know if any of the rest of you are Googling this stuff, but I saw that online. A big cube sitting to try to show you how big it's going to be. I don't think it's necessarily like that, but I do think that the proportions are perfect. And if you look at who this was written to, it was written to people who knew the Old Testament scripture. It was written to those who had memorized God's story from the very beginning. And if you remember what was also a cube was the Holy of Holies. It was perfectly shaped as a cube. So what I feel like God is saying in this is that the city that I've prepared for you is like the Holy of Holies in that the lamb will be there on the throne and we will see him face to face and we will be with God and he's going to dwell with his people. The place that was only in the temple, the place that was hidden away for only certain people to go into is a place where we are going to live for all of eternity. It is the place in the presence of God where we see him face to face. The Old Testament people said no one could ever see God face to face or they would die. But this is a beautiful reality for them when they read this, this portion of what John has written to say, I'm going to see God face to face. What was prohibited before is going to be my new reality. This is such a beautiful reality for us to look at. In 21 verse 3, it says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And so the other thing that we have no more need for is that there is no temple in this new city. Again, this speaks to that 
Old Testament system, uh, that theology of coming to the temple, these people probably could not have imagined not going to the temple. It's a little bit different for us today. We have the internet, we have printing presses, we all have a Bible in our hand. We could maybe stay home and get what we need out of the Bible. We would be missing something pretty significant in the community of people. But we have access to more. They didn't. They went to the temple to hear the scriptures read. It was an oral society. They came to hear it read over them and they memorized it and absorbed it. I don't think they could fathom what it would be like to not have a temple, to not go to the temple to meet with God. But God's saying, you're not gonna need that because I am gonna be so present with you everywhere and in everything. I'm gonna infiltrate everything around you. You're not gonna need to just go there on Sunday morning. I'm gonna be part of your entire life. It also says that nothing evil or unclean will be allowed to enter the city. No character traits opposed to the character of Christ will be present in this place. Jesus and the rest of the New Testament authors have warned us about this and now we see that it's actually really true. In 21 verse eight, it says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That is the second death. None of this will be allowed in God's city. There will be no night or darkness. We're talking about things that are not there. There will be no night and no darkness. No need, it says, for lamps or sun or stars. No artificial light form is going to be necessary because Jesus lights this new city. He, at the center of it, is all of the light that we need. And there's something beautiful about the light of Christ, that it illuminates everything. It brings everything out into the light so we can see it. Everything that is hidden, all hidden sin and motives and agendas and perspectives that come from the kingdom of darkness will be exposed to the light of Christ. Nothing in us that we're carrying that is part of the kingdom of darkness will be allowed to come into that city. It'll be exposed and I feel like in a moment, we will realize the heaviness and the weight of our sin and in the same moment, we'll realize the beauty and the reality of God's grace that covers it. Painfully aware of our sin, but absolutely fundamentally aware of his grace. That's what the light does. Fully aware. This is also this, this talk of Jesus being the light at the center. It, it also, it, it's sort of the whole story because it goes back to the first chapter of Revelation where John says, I saw Jesus, uh, I'm paraphrasing, I saw Jesus standing in the middle of the lampstands, in the middle of the churches, we realize that meant, right? Jesus is at the center of everything, illuminating everything, bringing light to everything. The last thing, or sorry, two more things it says will not be there. 
It says there will no longer be a curse. 22 verse 3 says, No longer a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. That represents the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ taking place, that there will be no more curse. We know the story. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They ate what they were not supposed to eat, the fruit. And the curse came upon the earth, and the ground itself, the earth, was cursed. Relationships were cursed. And sin and brokenness began to spread. There will be no more curse. Isn't that a beautiful thing to look forward to? Everything that was wrong will be set right. Ever since the beginning of time, we have been longing. The Bible says creation has been groaning for this day, for the redemption of all things. And our hearts are yearning for this too. Come, Jesus, come. This is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. What the forefathers of scripture could see with their eyes of faith in Hebrews 11, uh, 10, it says, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Wow. Sounds like the city we just read about, doesn't it? It goes on to say in verse 13 that all these people died believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they'd come from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, everyone was craving and looking for this city that God was establishing. And even though they saw it more probably as an earthly city or an earthly kingdom, or that's what they were expecting was gonna happen, the revelation to John is showing us something unearthly, something coming from God, that its source is God and it is coming down. This is the place where our hearts are finally at home with God and everything is set right with creation. It is finally a place of rest and peace and perfect unity. It is a place that all creation groans for, the place of belonging and purpose and identity. It is the place that you long for, even if you don't know what you are longing for, our hearts yearn for it. And the reason the spirit and the bride say come is for Jesus to set everything right, to abolish the curse, to redeem all things. And the promises of God can finally be fulfilled and we are at home with Jesus. The last thing that this portion of scripture says will be no more is that there will be no more death, sorrow, or pain. In 21.4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain, 
for all of these things are gone forever. What a beautiful thing. All of the suffering and pain that was brought on by the curse is going to be finally redeemed and finished. From a book that I was reading this week on this topic, I just want to read this beautiful analogy of what this actually means. The book was the is called From the Throne, the Lamb and the Dragon. This is a picture of affectionate intimacy, like a child who in a time of crisis has waited bravely and anxiously for her father to arrive home and she bursts into tears the moment he walks through the door. So our coming into the presence of God will be a blessed release of the emotional tension that marks life here on earth. Revelation's picture is a clear acknowledgement of the pain and sorrow of the human life. To be with God will be to have our hurts healed and our brokenness made whole. I had this picture in my mind of this this week. I don't know if, if you've ever left your kids in like daycare or at school and it's when you come to pick them up, they see you and then they burst into tears. Have you ever had that happen? You think, why are you crying now? Why didn't you cry when I left you? Like you were fine when I left you and I come back and now you're crying. I feel like that's exactly what this author was saying is that there's, it's like I held it together. I managed, I got through this time that I was alone, but now you're here and I don't have to hold it anymore. My mom is back, my dad is back, my king is back. I can let go and fall into your arms and there will be an emotional release when that happens. And then he'll wipe away every tear and say, you don't have to do that anymore. You're with me, we're together, we're reunited, we're face to face and this is never going to end. You don't have to walk through suffering and pain anymore. You don't have to just hold it together. I'm back. I'm back. What a beautiful day that is going to be. If this doesn't get you excited, I don't know what possibly could. This is the hope of our Christian faith. This is everything that we are waiting for. Everything that we hold on to is the hope that Jesus has stored for us. I think the most beautiful part of these whole two chapters, the thing that we need to hold on to is 21.5. Behold, I am making all things new. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, I am making all new things. God is creative and he could very well do that if he chose to. But what he has chosen to do is redeem the things that he has already created because when he created them, he said they were good. And yes, they have been marred and marked by sin. Yes, there is suffering and pain, but what God created was good. He said that it was good and his intention and plan is to recreate, 
to redeem, to restore what he had created in the first place. This is our hope, the redemption of all things. This is not just the culmination of John's apocalypse in these couple of scriptures, verses that we've read today. This is the culmination of God's story from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. This is all of it and how it all ties together. Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am working and moving. Notice the present tense. I am making. It's not, what. hold on, one day I am going to make. That's not how he says it. He says, behold, I am making all things new. This is a creative work that God is doing, a restorative work that he is doing right now in the lives of people whose hearts are surrendered to him. You don't have to wait to get to heaven and to be in the sweet by and by to be redeemed and restored by the power of God. That is a work that he is doing right now in the lives of those who are surrendered to him. He is changing us and transforming us from the inside out. He's redeeming every single piece of our life that has been marked and marred by sin. Every hurt that you have experienced, there is hope. Every pain that you suffer through, there is hope. Everything that we go through in this life, there is hope. Every wound that's been inflicted by man, there is hope. Everything that you've had to face that brings you pain and suffering, there is hope. And you don't have to wait to heaven to, in, to experience it. We can experience it here and now as we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus and see him change and transform things. And it never happens the way that we think it will. It happens when we fully surrender to his plan, when we give up control, when we stop trying to do it in our own power and our own steam, and we surrender to the work that he wants to do. When I do that, I promise you, it's never like I thought it was going to be. It never turns out like I thought it was going to be. It's a path of humility. It's a path of brokenness. It's a path of surrender. It's a path of laying down. It's a path of you be silent and I'll fight for you. It's an entirely different path than the one that we see here on earth and the one that the world calls us to follow. But it is a path of hope and it's the only one that we have. Behold, I'm making all things new. Earth was made for man. That was God's plan, and his plan has not changed. There is no plan B. Earth is for man. And, and in this new reality, what is coming for us at the end of this age is that we will regain our place with Jesus and rule and reign with him on earth. We're not disappearing into the clouds somewhere. He is recreating the earth and we will rule and reign here with them. All of our purpose and identity and dignity is restored at the end of the story. We go back to where we started. Behold, I make all things new, all all things. Nothing will be left out. 
everything that has been touched by sin will be healed and restored and redeemed at the hands of Jesus. Everything. Do you think that you're too far gone? Everything. Do you think that your life has been too hard, that God doesn't love you? Everything. All things. All things. Everything sin has marred, everything evil has touched, will finally and forever be set right. Behold, I'm making all things new. God is at work in his church, in his people. He is currently, today, working in the lives of people, restoring everything the enemy has stolen, bringing life to areas that were once dead, taking back lost ground that we've given over to the enemy, restoring broken relationships, renewing our inner world and our perspectives, creatively renewing everything that has been marked by sin. This is just a taste, just a glimpse of what's waiting for us. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have tasted, if you've had that glimpse, you know what's waiting for you. And your heart and your spirit cry, come. Come, Jesus. Set it right. When I was young and I used to listen to messages like this, I was like, no. I don't want Jesus to come back. Like, I want to have a life. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I, you know, I want to see my grandkids. I want to go through this stuff. But the longer life goes on and the older I get and the more suffering I see, the more my heart cries, come. Come. Come, Jesus, come and set it right. Come and restore and redeem. Don't let us be hurt anymore by these things. Come. Come. Does your heart cry, come? John's apocalypse, as we said in the beginning of this book, is a peek into the unseen reality of Jesus at the center of everything. It is a pulling back of the curtain to see what the really real reality of Jesus is at the center of your life and at the center of his bride, the church. What if we lived like Jesus was really at the center of everything? What if our lives were so oriented and so focused and centered on him that it actually changed things? Pastor Andrew was saying last week that as the church, we are partnering with God to see the realities of his kingdom advance. As we are renewed, we carry renewal to the earth. As we are redeemed and restored, we carry that healing and that redemption to other people. We teach them how. We show them the path. We can pray for them. We know how to speak truth into their lives. 
but only to the capacity that we're actually allowing God to work in ours. And so if our hearts are surrendered and we're allowing God to transform us by this power right here, right now, we become agents of redemption and renewal in the earth. What a beautiful thing. You talk about wanting purpose and identity. Do you know how many people I talk to who are so aimless? They feel like they have no purpose in life. This is your purpose. You're looking for it. I'm giving it to you today. Your purpose is to be transformed by the power of Christ and carry that renewal into the earth. That is your purpose. And if you're doing anything other than that, you will never be fulfilled. Until you begin to carry what Jesus carries and be his expression of that in the earth, to partner with him, to see renewal come to the earth now, to come to the church now, to come to the world now. That's the work that Jesus is always up to. We don't have to wait to get there. We can experience it and enjoy it now. Pastor Andrew was saying that we live like exiles in foreigners in this world as ambassadors from another kingdom, as representation of the king, expressing his heart and his life into everything until he returns, carrying and advancing his kingdom. And as this book draws to a close, as the story of God draws to a close, the imagery, imagery brings us right back to the garden. He talks about a river and the tree of life. We come back to the garden where our heart is at home in the presence of God. As John's vision draws to a close, so does God's story. The redemption of all things. Behold and make all things new. This book was written to give us hope. It was written to strengthen the church in the middle of persecution and trial and suffering. It was meant to pull back the curtain and say no matter what you're going through, Jesus is still at the center of it all. Lean into him, trust him. He's your strength to endure until he bursts back on the scene. This book is to teach us to overcome. It's to teach us to hold on. It's to teach us to walk with renewal and redemption. What a glorious book it has been. I'm going to ask Spencer to maybe jump on the keys for a second. And I want to take a moment here at the end to circle back to a couple of questions that I want to leave you with today. Are you preparing yourself for the place that God has prepared for you? Are you taking Jesus' teaching seriously when he talked about the 10 virgins who were prepared and waiting for the bridegroom and some of them, you know, were distracted and, and unprepared? They weren't ready when the bridegroom came. Is that how we're living our lives? Or are we keeping our oil stored and the wicks trimmed? What that's speaking of is just being prepared at all times, 
This is the passion and cry of my heart for you, the church, the radiantly beautiful people of God. My heart call for you is, are you preparing yourself for the place that God has prepared for you? In all of the beauty and majesty and glory of that place, is your heart prepared? Does your spirit yearn within you? Do you cry, come, come Jesus. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? I just wanna pray with you for a moment here at the end. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I think it's okay to use our imagination in these moments. If you think of the beauty of the descriptions that John uses, there's no way we can't engage our imagination when we read the book of Revelation. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to just ask Jesus, what do you have prepared for me? And just let him speak to your heart for a moment. Maybe he wants to speak truth into an area of your life. Maybe he wants to remind you where he is in the middle of your circumstances. Maybe he wants to speak to you a convicting word about something that actually needs to come under his lordship. What do you have prepared for me, Jesus? And when you catch a glimpse of that, then I want you to ask him this, how are you preparing me? for what you have for me. What am I gonna do? What do you require of me? How can I be transformed? How can I see your redemptive work reach into every corner of my heart and life? Is your heart ready to see the King? the spirit within you yearn and cry come Jesus I just thank you for your words today these words of hope this revelation that you gave to John that become words that are alive and fresh and new for us every time we read them we wanna be part of what you are doing creatively and redemptively here on earth. We wanna be part of your plans. Jesus, we wanna partner with you to carry your kingdom into the darkest places of this world. And we admit we're not perfect. And we don't have it all together, but we soften and surrender our hearts before you today. And we ask God, would you work in our midst? And would you be not just at the center of our hearts today, would you be at the center of our church? 
Would you bring restoration to broken relationships? Would you help us learn how to walk in unity with each other? Would you guide us, Lord Jesus, into becoming a place where renewal and redemption breaks forth? I pray that this would be known as a place where people would just walk onto the property and be healed and restored and renewed. Father, I thank you that you are doing something in your church, even though these days, sometimes it looks dry. Sometimes it looks like the church is fading and people are losing hope in your bride. I pray, Father, that you would come and redeem and renew. Start with us. Start with our hearts, Jesus. Our hearts yearn for you. Come, Lord Jesus, and set right everything that has been wrong. Set right everything that has been touched and marred by sin and by the sea, by the chaos of this world, Father God. We ask that you would move and work in our midst. Prepare us as your beautiful bride so that we could be prepared as a place for you to dwell as well, Jesus. Thank you. We love you. Amen.